recording now. And just when they des- we decide to record, they start to drill right outside my place. In the heart of Toronto's construction district. <laughs> which is the whole city of <laughs> That's hey, Toronto. Wink, wink, wink to anyone who visited Toronto. So this is the um, podcast with the celebrated, very funny man, Andy Kindler. Andy Kindler. You hooked this up, man. So kudos to you for Thank doing you. this. Thank you. No problem. For the Happy Just to. for Laughs Toronto Thank Festival. you, Andy, for being willing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a bit nervous because he, he is... Um, a very, very, very funny guy. Oh, and GFL42, thank you to uh, Jackie for your help. Right? Yes, that Jackie was very was, was very helpful. Um, she hooked this thing up. Really, yeah. And, um, you know, Andy Kindler, very funny man. Uh, I, I've seen the interview you did with him. You interviewed him. A few years ago. Yeah. I think when I was just starting to kind of know him a bit. Yeah. Right. And you, and since then, you guys have... We've done more shows together. Right. Yeah. I was really nervous because I'd seen some interviews with, with Kindler, yours, but other ones where he basically makes fun of the whole podcast, mm-hmm. almost, not DIY, I hate to use that term, but like just the amateurish nature that podcasts can be at times and the people who 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 do some of these YouTube channels or podcasts... Um, there's a whole lot of dressing to to their channels and everything, but then when you look at the views, there's like 300 views and it's been yeah. up for 17 months. Right, right. And Kindler is very aware that he is um, basically wasting his time doing these things. And <laughs> but, he makes, but you know, he makes it known to the interviewer. But that is his uh, style. He's like a slightly a needler. I mean, in a very but it comes from a place of affection. So yes, I think it is. That's and why it's uh, it's worked for so long. As yes. long as it has. Although it's gotten him in trouble, I think too. Yeah, yeah, you and know. I think he makes a mention of it in this episode. He's known. Andy is known um, in comedy circles. I don't know how much in like large scale circles as sort of the the like in house critic of comedy, if that makes any sense. Right. He you does know. the. Um, what do you call this? The, uh, the he does the state of the industry state address. of the industry address to at, the, at just for laughs in Montreal every year. Yeah, and there he he basically targets a whole bunch of comedians and a whole bunch of actors and a whole bunch of whoever. Yeah. And he also does material. He just sort of will do some jokes, you know, that isn't even about anybody. I just didn't want to get um, in in his uh, crosshairs, <laughs> and so I mean, it's kind of an honor to be in his crosshairs, sort of. He kind of he makes depends on what he makes side that of... distinction in the interview, right? He yes. talks about that a bit, and uh... but I just wanted him to know, like right off the bat, that mm-hmm. hey, it's serious. good to do this podcast. This is serious stuff. Yeah, we're serious. There's a, a Finnish person will become your fan because of this podcast. <laughs> Right, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But um, also, you know, uh, meeting Andy through you. Yeah. Um, so I guess I had good association right. in his eyes. So yeah. that was a good start. He's like one of the most uh, engaged kind of people I know. He's always, he's a very, very attentive and, you know, responsive. So it's like, it's always great. Within yeah. all the funny, he's he, he is engaging. And he's and so funny. Yeah, he's always, um, you know, coming up with the ha-ha words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think his, I, it's funny how people, when I see other people with you, yes, it's interesting that it's a very similar dynamic that you and I have, <laughs> because he immediately knee-jerked into this whole, like, let's rip on Flanagan. <laughs> and then he caught himself doing that, and he apologized, sort of, in the middle of, of the podcast. Okay, so I'm not too far off when yeah. I write to you. In bold, <laughs> angrily. I've never had anybody write to me angrily in bold. That's never happened. Has that? Have I not done that to you? You've done that. Yes. Yeah. So that that element of the dynamic is different. But I have. I don't know if I don't know if he has that kind of a, uh, you know, needing to write to anyone in bold kind of relationship with anybody. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well. One a comedian is one man. You know what I mean. Well, you know, maybe he should start doing you. Sh- you t- Except start maybe doing he's a written this. Maybe he's written this before. I love it. In bold, you know. Right. That might have happened. But yes, he, but at the same time, I do think he detects a, uh, I'm trying to think of what he sees in me that, like an, an aloof neediness. Punching bag quality. Yeah, like this sort of like needy, but a little bit like, like 
angry, <laughs> you know, angry like, that you're needy. This young, I, I, but he says really nice things to me all the time. I so think he genuinely. I mean, you can hear it. he genuinely likes you. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, off really the mic, it was, he definitely liked you, and, and it was all good. And I think he. Enjoyed. Me and my friend Tim are like we just love Andy Keller, and Andy loves my friend Tim Gilbert a lot too. Not that I should speak for Andy here, but it seems like he does, you know. And uh, that was a good thing when we we went to Just for Laughs this year. And he put us on the alternative show. He put us both on these like great bills for the alternative show. His, which is this show he runs at Just for Last. So he does this state of the industry thing, and then he sort of MCs a show called the Alternative Show that they brought to JFL Forty Two this year. And it's always a crazy lineup. You know, the the show I did was like Tignataro, Mark Marin, um, Colin Quinn, Greg Greg Fitzsimmons. You know, Nick Kroll. Like it was all of these huge names, and uh, I think that's because he has. He, he sort of started at the same time as a lot of these people um, who rose to prominence. And he's an alt comedian in like the old sense of the word, if that makes any sense. Like he sort of helped define whatever that was. It's just like whatever sells, you know? Like Mitch Hedberg was strange, but I think he's was beloved across the board. I mean, really, yeah, anyway. So, Anyways, and here's Andy Kimler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch Hedberg was very well liked. Here's Andy Kindler. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay, we're here. It started. It's on. Thank you for being patient with us, Andy. I can't even believe it. I am just enraged. Is my level okay, or am I going too high? No, you're great. What if I go back like this? You're great. You know, a lot of the kids today don't know. If you're going to do something like that, you back off the mic. Yeah. The kids don't know it. Don't overload. <laughs> don't overload it. Don't put it in the red. It's digital. Keep it at minus 3 dB and enjoy yourself. Can I well, try it? Yeah. Andy. Do you want to restart your career? Don't, you, you, you're not supposed to yell as if you're not yelling. <laughs> you go, Andy, do you want to restart your career? Andy, do you want to restart your career? Unbelievable. Like, this kid's going to take a lot of seasoning. I do need seasoning. You need seasoning is what you need. Tenderizing? Well, you need uh, also to be flattened into a patty. <laughs> sure, please do. <laughs> Flatten me. We, uh, You guys uh, played together last night. or What do you call it when comedians... We call jazz. We call dubstepping. Yeah, we did some dubstep. We, we jazz. jazz we call it jazz. Jazz. Everything. What we like to do. Comedians like to do is use uh, is compare everything to jazz, which no, most comedians have no knowledge of. <laughs> yeah. It's right. like jazz, man. Like uh, like Kenny G. We're like Kenny G up up in here. Yeah, it's like uh, the, I'm, I'm bebop. I, I would like think. Uh, what's up with malls? <laughs> I'm just scatting up there, you know. Yeah. Also, when I perform, it's a lot of scatting. A lot of scatting. Uh, uh, yeah. I uh, was that mean? It's blue. Too blue. Uh, I put my ear. I do this when I'm performing, like they do in the old uh, when the harmon when the harmonizers. I'm, uh, what they do that to hear their own voice? Well, because there's no monitor. Is system. it a pitch check? Oh, so they don't have to do that anymore. I don't that, think that, so. It's easy. Are you one of these musicians who plays with a thing in your ear? No. Okay. I'm that's against terrible. That. No, I don't mean like uh, to silence it. I mean to hear it. Yeah, yeah, like uh, in ear monitors. Yeah. Yeah. No. The I drummers have to have it though, or they? Some they, of them do. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Or some of them use it to have the click in their head. Right. You know, so they can, because a lot of them have problems with tempo. I found in that, and I don't want to just make it about me. You know, right off the spot, I want to. It is about you. But when I was in bands, and first of all, I'm so old, and this is my this is my thing. I should I think I should just preface every joke with. Now, of course, I'm old, but uh, we used to have a the doctor rhythm. I don't know if you even remember what it is. It's an antique. Yeah, it's the thing that keeps the beat right. Yeah, but it had like uh, settings like rumba. Bossa Nova. <laughs> yeah. And it sounded like someone had taken an AM speaker, busted it, and a bit, beat like a drum over it. <laughs> but then we, we had click tracks, too. I think people are using those exact sounds 
today yeah, to make to be cool. new, yeah, to make new songs. Okay, and, click tracks. When you say we had click tracks back then, what's like? Maybe am I? In, what is a click track? Well, a click track is, and you of course could explain better. But I show that I'm in your neighborhood. Yeah. No, it's just a. It's like a metronome. It's a beat that goes off because yeah. drummers do. Mm-hmm. Did you see that movie? That was a. I didn't see the whole movie, but it was a documentary about that a recording studio and Dave Grohl. Oh, Sound City. Yeah. Yes. So I Dave did. Grohl was explaining. Like, We've actually recorded in his studio. In the sound, in the oh, and Dave's when before he had that board that right, movie is about. and that board was uh, famous. It was in L.A., but like uh, they talk about making the Nirvana album and how he was so angry about it because the, the guy was saying, the guy was saying he was his beat was slowing down, and he was like, "Well, I," he was arguing, "Well, I, I should be able to slow," off. but then he used the click track and it seemed to work. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I, I know what a click track is. I was just wondering, like, what is it? What is it made of? You know oh, I mean? so yeah, are you, yeah, oh, yeah. this whole time yeah. you were you were going for some ridiculous <laughs> joke. No, no, I what wasn't. What's it made of? <laughs> <laughs> they make them out of bamboo now. What are you asking? Exactly. Like, is it like a? Dr. It's a guy. He's a small guy who's paid <laughs> to be in a studio. Yeah. Who has like you know a perfect pitch. He has perfect click. <laughs> perfect. Click. And he just goes. <laughs> well, there's ringers that are brought in, like drummers who have perfect tempo, and you know you don't know about them because. You know the band doesn't want that known that the their drummer in the photograph isn't the drummer on the album, right? But there's studio drummers who come in quietly and play the whole album quietly. That does that sounds like an oxymoron. They skulk or into the studio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not when they're playing. Though. <laughs> no, no, no. no. But why don't they kick, the, kick the guy out who's dragging and it's happened uh, before and, and think and pick the uh, well? But does that mean if you have perfect tempo that you necessarily but you may not have uh, soul, right? Uh. Yeah, that's an argument. I mean, that's a conversation we can have because some of these drummers are so good because they have both. And they're in five bands plus all the studio work. And they're like more in demand than the bands that they play with. You know, they're more sometimes more known. Like, for example, Josh Freeze is someone who is a drummer that I'm thinking about. He drummed with Devo on the last tour that Devo Replacements. Yeah. He's on tour with the Replacements right now, Guns N' Roses. and then he's in the Vandals as well. That's his band, right? The, members? the pumps don't work because the Vandals took the handles. Right. That was. It's about the Vandals. You know what the song that is? That's, you kids don't know your history. Yesterday you said I looked like Bob Dylan. That yeah, that and was subterranean homesick blues. Yeah. And and Nick said, "Who's Bob Dylan?" Is that what no? He, he said? knows. Nick's one of these kids who, when he was nine, he was walking around saying, "I like vinyl." <laughs> close. <laughs> Very close. Yes, yeah, twelve. He buys he buys podcasts on vinyl. <laughs> yeah, I do. I want the uh, WTF collection on. on Why don't you have a podcast? Vinyl. Yeah. Why don't podcast? I have anything going on? You know what I'm <laughs> no. saying? I I finally made a deal with the uh, AST Records. I don't like to brag, but I'm finally making uh, my first CD. I made I made a deal. DVD in 2003. Yeah. But this is my first actual CD, which I'm very excited about. And we've had comedians on this podcast before, and we've I have brought up this discussion with various comedians, and that is how a band has a cycle with their album. And then over a span of two to five to ten years, you have a discography. But yes. with a lot of comedians, it's just... You know, they might be very well known, very well respected, and very seasoned, but their discography is two albums. One album, two I albums. Put out, I put out one album, and I remember I was talking to a comedian once who was like older than me, and he was just like, Who isn't older than you? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everyone's Are older you 12? than me. I'm, I oh, wish yeah, I were yeah, 12. I know. It's over for you. It's now. over. I'm you're, old now. The, your young guy thing is d- dead now. Yeah, yeah I can't believe <laughs> like Oh, I don't even know how to put um, uh, a coin in the meter. <laughs> <laughs> That that was my twenties material. Uh, but I would think I'm sorry, I interrupted meter. you. So you were saying about no. uh, people. No, I want you to. What were you? Gonna he say? interrupted me. Yeah. Well, oh, then let me. No, no. I was going to say I think there are people who are. Uh, I don't know if it's a gener. I don't even think it is a generational thing. But there are comics who are more prolific in terms of uh, CDs. Like Todd Barry has has a number. Well, of it was CDs. Todd who I was talking to. I was going to say like when I told him I would put out an album, he was like, "How long have you been doing comedy?" I was like. Uh, you know, ten years or something. And he says, "Okay, that's fine. That's, yeah, you can put out an album in ten years." Because he, because there's the opposite for bands. Bands put out seven inches before they right. played their first demo club single, show. and then the first album. Well, that's your only, yeah. but because bands, that's is your expression. You know what I mean? Like your expression. If you're gonna put out something, it's well. I'm sure it would be good for any band to have experience playing together first, but it's more directed towards some kind of product that you can listen to. In some form, whereas a comedian could be just working on material and doesn't necessarily have to produce something 
just by nature of being a comedian. I because wish I, I, wish I was around. articulate and or uh, was at a point. He's showcasing. He's yes. showcasing himself. Yeah. Place to place. So the act is existing and changing. That's another thing. It's changing so much a lot of the time. I, you know, I, I understand it's hard. that. Even if you have an album out, sometimes like I have this record out and I'm like, I don't want to retire this material. Hardly anyone knows I have an album. You right. know, if I, I ever were to do like a TV thing, I, I almost want to, or a bigger show, like an hour show, I'd almost want to combine that stuff into what I, I have. I think I have the answer, though. Here's the answer to the question. I think I actually have nailed it down. It's that stand-up comedy is, count, is counterintuitive to any kind of other art form. So, like, uh, the Beatles, like, from my, when I was uh, coming up, I thought when I was 21, I was a failure because I came up from a generation where you had the Beatles, you had Bob Dylan, you had mm-hmm. all these people. And there's something about uh, performing music, especially rock music, where that kind of doesn't always have to be that this way, but that youthful... You know that, that Bob Dylan song, uh, um, I, w- I was so much older then, I'm younger th- than that now. It's like the idea you're, you're so opinionated at a certain point in time, and that can be channeled into very explosive, great music. But comics, it's different. What Todd was saying is you need 10 years to even re- be, uh, unless you're like a phenomenon like Dave Chappelle or a couple of other examples, uh, mostly it's not that way. You need a lot of time, even if you're funny the first day you get on stage, to develop it at the point that you would want to put on a CD. To either have a perspective or yeah. like be able to express more, more aligned with like uh, like a writer. Like a, I think a writer like would a, be a good analogy. An author, and 28, yeah. I've been doing comedy, I think 28 or 29 years, and I feel like about five years ago I made this big breakthrough, which I've told this story a million times, so it's probably boring, but I thought I was always saying everything that was on my mind on stage, and I, but I realized I wasn't. I was mostly getting angry at the crowd or making fun of myself, which I still do. Not so much getting angry at the crowd. I don't do that as much anymore. But I realized that there were a lot of thoughts in my mind that I just wasn't saying, not because they were blue or anything, but and that opened me up as a comedian. That, but that's tw- that was 23 years into doing it. So now I say everything. You know, it might be, I might say, like, oh, you people didn't like this uh, half-baked idea I came up with two hours ago. You know, and it's not foolproof, because sometimes it can get annoying, but it kind of loosens up the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I really am being in the moment. So that's, that, that's what very few musicians, I would say, would, you know, well, I don't know, maybe there are late bloomers with musicians, too. Well, you know, I, I just feel that with comedians and their material and how it's constantly changing, like you said, Nick, I feel that because you are a party of one, you travel by yourself everywhere, you don't have that, not, not, maybe you do, but you don't have, not everyone has that person to bounce off of and say, okay, this is the slate right here. Cap this, capture this, and move forward. That, that, I mean, that's it's always true, a thing right? of like, oh, I can do better than that, I can do better than that. It, you just never cap it. Like, for example, if we're in the studio, I can do vocal takes for, for days and days and days, but there's a producer there who says, we got it. Let's move on. Well, I think that, like uh, to the degree that I do voiceover auditions, which I, you know, the, any voiceovers I've gotten have not been from auditions because the voiceover world for like commercials or whatever is is so restrictive. It's worse than any other part of the entertainment industry. They're like, to me, they're like so by the book. There's so few that are that are good. But I know it's a lot of these people who do them. They do them like on their own home thing, or they yeah, have I've heard uh, about that, they yeah. have the blue microphone. They do it, and I, I can't stand that because I need somebody. I just yeah, yeah. thank you for that. You yeah. want a free blue microphone? Yeah. 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 they might have a blue. I mean, I don't know what they're using, but I, I enjoy the blue three E X J K series with the uh, with the um, um, the uh, manual mute override. So, uh, but I need like for voiceover, especially, I need someone in the booth who who, who I get along with and can say because I don't really know how it sounds. So I think that's that's different than that. It would be a difference between. Wouldn't music. that be the best comedy album ever? Like you're in the booth and a guy's like, "No, no, no, take that." <laughs> Do well, that talk you know, again. Albert Brooks did. I mean, Albert Brooks was revolutionary in the way that he combined mm-hmm. a live stuff with with recording. I records. think that would yeah. be that, His records that's are awesome. the, that thing in the '70s where, and and in '80s too, where that was happening more like, with just like bit skits, skits, yes. and and sketches. Isn't you know? that more of a '70s and maybe an '80s thing? Sa- well, to put Sandler out a kind of. Keeps doing that, right? Like Adam Sandler's. But they're all the like people. they're all like songs, right? No, there's sketches on those lots. Yeah, yeah. but there's no stand. In while on Adam yeah, Sandler, no uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that because I haven't listened to one. But no, uh, that's a little backwards slam. Uh, <laughs> Boom. I mean, it's not like I mean his quality suffers as opposed to the blue. Unfunny which you can, uh, people. The blue microphone. <laughs> Unfunny you can people. Unfunny. Unf- more like. Unfunny people. Well, but one thing I will say <laughs> is that. Uh, 
Grown-ups, too. Will these guys ever grow up comedically? Uh, so, but one thing that I'm very excited about is that uh, I listened to Mitch Altogether, which oh, is that's a, a great record. It's such a great record. And that got me, and I've talked to a lot of comics about this and a lot of people who just listen to comedy, that got me very excited about doing a CD. Is that with the bass? Playing the with the stand up bass. No, that that was the, the first one. Okay, yeah. the second one is not like that. And he's but he's very. I mean, both are great CDs. But the second one I particularly like, where he's really in the moment and he's referencing other things and he's talking about making a CD. So I, I like that. Some there's some experience where you don't you're not. It's more authentic. It's more like in a way. It's not like listening in a club. But I've been talking to people about how sometimes they'll watch uh, video comics, uh, videotape performances. There's something. You're not there, yeah. And so there's something that you lose the engagement by watching it. Whereas the audio, it's like your imagination takes over. So I, I'm so excited about actually not doing something that you can see. Yeah, there's something about the album format that's that's like to me, it's more exciting because it, you just make up. I don't, I don't know. It's nicer just to hear a voice sometimes. Am I right, audience? Yeah. That's what they say during your show. I'd like to hear something. I don't know why I put you down. This is my new thing. It's like I'm your Rickles or something. I like it. Well, I, I love it. I, and and uh, I, I, I should heard... I be flattered when people do that? If comedians do that to me, isn't that like an old thing? If someone well, you, you also know? are somebody who uh, it's not that you invite it, but you kind of uh, yes, he does. He doesn't. Yes. No, well, no, but he, you know, you're does. not like a. You, you're not someone that you're someone at a party who would walk up and go, "Who are you? How are you? I'm Nick. What do you do? I'm or a comedian. A How are you doing? What's going on?" It's yeah. really weird. I, yeah, I don't but that may invade your space sufficiently. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you're not like a, a wallflower. I'm like somebody who people are like, "This doesn't feel like it should be awkward, but somehow." Yeah, this you is bring awkward. a certain awkward yes. sensibility to comedy. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. makes Isn't, people in the audience uncomfortable. Yeah, and it makes uh, people in the green room uh, more uncomfortable. Angry. No. But you know what? Party. You're uh, when you mention Rickles, uh, uh, you know, you compare yourself to Rickles. I Moving don't see that that's too far off with you know your uh, st- state of the yeah, industry. You're like comedies Don Rickles, two comedians. Yes, I think that's right. But I don't normally. I can get very much into picking on like one. And like my wife said to me, because um, uh, like. I'm always joking around with her family, but she was like, she's like the older sister. So I was like, needling her younger sister, mm-hmm. but funny. But then uh, my wife's like, stop doing that. You're, you know, it's like, because I, I get too much. Why are you, you don't focusing want Rickles, on this You don't one. want Rickles at a family gathering. No, you, you, want, you want Rickles, the end of the Rickles album where you're like, okay, gang, well, you know, it's yeah. a very serious Everybody time, loves each other. We all need to come together. And <laughs> we can your, all make fun of you. Is your impression of, I'm a nice guy? <laughs> That's what he does on his records. Right? Yeah, that, he does that in live shows too. Yeah, the thing about Rickles is that he's such a genius, but he's uh, he's he's like best everything. I love him. So, but he's best experience. Also, I think his times have gotten more whatever you want to call him politically correct. Mm-hmm. You know, like to me, like Rickles comes from a generation where he might actually have you know, like some kind of prejudice. Like he was on Letterman a couple of, like a month ago talking about. Uh, the Japanese, and he was basically saying, like, you know, uh, something like it was almost like it was like the day after World War II kind of a joke. You know, the Japanese guy is like, and so Wickle's like, oh, I mean, so Letterman's like, okay, okay, he goes, no, what are you talking about? I, uh, I go, I go to Mr. Chow's in uh, Los Angeles, and everything's good. And I think Mr. Chow's is Chinese, right. but the right, thing right, is, right. like, so he, he comes by honestly, but he's also just hilarious. And so, but to me, he's there's nobody better on panel than Rickles. You know, he's amazing. Guys like Rickles would be like a guy that Carson and Letterman, I think, is is our he's different, but he is our Our Carson. Carson, I I think he's the greatest. And so and but but like people will come on and know how to screw around with Dave, like Bill Murray or something like that. That kind of panel is very hard for only a few people can do it because they're like peers of him. And uh, and, you know, Rickles is older, but Rickles would go on Carson and just sit in the chair and they wouldn't even have no material they would just say and he would even like poke at Johnny too oh it was unbelievable yeah uh, like a jo- like a, even towards the end of, of Johnny's uh, uh, like in the last couple of months he was on panel and uh, Johnny like fumfered over something he goes uh, watch out there watch out Johnny every time you stammer uh, Jay Leno and Jay Leno was home high-fiving the wife <laughs> <laughs> Do you find when you when you poke fun at 
your peers and other people in the industry. <clears throat> what happens when you meet them? Well, I have you a, inevitably do. I have a problem because I go after people in a more vicious way that I don't actually like. You know, like I don't like Leno. I don't like the, what, what he's done. I think he's is like a two-faced kind of a, every every anecdote. By I made fun because he had this book where it came out where I really believe every anecdote you, that you hear him say is untrue. That he's he has something he was saying like uh, he was in Rome with his wife and. Uh, he found this uh, wallet on the ground, and he's walking around, and he's going, Franco, Frank, he's like, Franco, 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 and uh, he can't believe it, then all of a sudden the guy comes out of the cafe, he's like, oh, I'm Franco, and I was like, it's, it's a story, it actually happened. First of all, it didn't happen. Secondly of all, why would you be running around going, uh, is it Franco, I got your wallet, oh, I'm Franco. Yeah, I see a wallet. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh, oh, did you say Franco w waving a large wallet? That's me. Unbelievable. And he used to do these uh, in his book. He would do in his book. He said uh, he has all these t stories that like, just are total embellished. Yeah, yeah. I used to work at a at a car dealership in Boston, and uh, at the end of the day, one day I brought home. Uh, I had all the cash on me, like ten thousand dollars in cash. Why is he going? Why is he leaving with ten thousand? And I drove all the way to the Improv in New York, and then I put it on the piano, and then I drove all the way back to Boston. And I, I left on the piano, dear. I drove back. It was still there. <laughs> So stories like that, how he picked up a guy in West Hollywood, and, uh, and he's like, oh, this guy's very friendly here. You know, the guy turns out to be gay. So I have uh, stories like, uh, yeah, I got to the club, and uh, it was flooded. I had to do my act from a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> but is your... So you've never met Leno? I have met Leno. Oh, how'd that go? <laughs> oh, well, the, 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 this is a, uh, a story that I literally have told a hundred times, but it, it never kind of gets old, because this is the most embarrassing incident that ever happened with me. My wife's a photographer, and she was doing a shoot, and the, the mother of the, like, the person she was shooting, turns out it was a comic. I didn't know she was a comic. And, uh, but she did like comic, like she would be like, she was like in her 40s or 50s, and she'd come on stage like with the tights on and, and do like uh, jokes like with her, what was the thing that Susan Ann Summers used to? Her body? No, the thigh master. Yeah. yeah it's like jokes like that. So I found out, so she says, she goes out to get some like coffee or something, she goes, hey, Jay Leno's down the street. Uh, with uh, and his car's broken down. Does anybody want to go look at that? And for some reason, I thought the funniest thing in the world would be to see Jay Leno go in some big like <laughs> uh, a steam uh, like rice powered vehicle. So, so I walk down with her, and she goes, "Well, do you like Jay Leno?" I said, "No, I actually don't like him." I make fun of him. He goes, "Oh, oh, I, 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 I think he's great. I have a friend who wrote in the show." And, uh, and then we get to the corner, so he's across the street. She goes, "You, you want to go closer?" I say, "Yeah, well, I can go closer." And I realize my stomach drops as we're halfway across the street. I realize, oh my god. And she does. She walks right up to Leno. And I just <laughs> oh wanted to walk. God. And I walk by them to a place in L.A. that you would only be walking. It's under a freeway. I would have had to have, have my car broken down. There's not a store I'm going to. Right, right, right. And then I hear her say behind me. You're like uh, running from the Terminator. Running from the Terminator. Yeah. And, uh, and so I hear her behind me. And she's telling him. Uh, oh my God. Who I am, <laughs> and he's like Andy. I think he said like Andy Kinkler, Andy Kinkler, and that, uh, so I walk back sheepishly, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, that's the guy who hates me." And then she starts going, "Why do you?" I just told her the story. She goes, "Why do you hate him?" Oh and in front I, of Jay Leno. And Jay Leno, I said, "No, no, no." And Jay Leno, "It's okay to hate. It's okay to hate." <laughs> <laughs> And it was so embarrassing. Did it feel surreal or well, it felt like too I was just, real? Well, I was ridiculous. Yeah. Why yeah. am I walking by him? Why the stupidest thing I've <laughs> right, ever right. But, but yeah. uh, I also inter introduced him at a benefit once in, at the improv. Uh -huh. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, you may recognize this next performer from The Tonight Show. And then he, uh, he whispers in my ear. He goes, it just kills you, doesn't it? It kills you. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I, I was privy to a moment in Montreal where Dane Cook came over. Well, that's the perfect example. Yeah. Yes. Because I've been making fun of him for years. But it was like, you know, like with Dane Cook, uh, I made, it's not, it's not really personal animus. It's just uh, making fun of his career and everything. Yeah. So he walked by. So I was like, hey, Dane Cook. Yeah. And he goes, oh, Andy. And he was like, very nice. Because I, I hear he's, even with like Neil Hamburger, he's more like, he wants to be more gracious about being made fun of. Yeah, or it's like he recognizes maybe that he, some, some not, the, his inner workings are not being, Killed went by this criticism. It's more like who he is in comedy. How is that for a bunch of words? No, no, that made total yeah, sense. No, I'm, I'm interested. And, and, and then he followed me, so I'm following him. And then yeah, yeah. occasionally he'll pitch 
like ideas. You go, I'm doing this show with Andy Kindler. And you then, mean on Twitter? You're yeah, yeah. And I go, yeah, it's great. And we're pitching it, and people will it'll be like, people will go, what? I can't believe this, Kindler. What are you doing? And then like Dane's fans will go, hey, this is great. Good luck with your uh, cop buddy cop show. But the thing is, it depends on what I'm saying. So like what I'm saying about him is not the end of the world. You know, in terms of it's really is like roast style jokes. Right. But when I went after Adam Carolla this year and called him a racist and you know, yeah, it was no serious. There's no turning back. There's no that. turning back. I would never want to see him anywhere. I don't want to see him. I was on his podcast. What triggered it was I was on his podcast and I had I was on there twice. And the second time I had the worst experience of my life. And it's just like he doesn't even he doesn't even know there's other human beings. He's just the most self-absorbed guy I've ever seen. So, no, I have no desire ever to see him. I don't want to confront the people uh, on a personal level. People, I think, because like he does talk about Mexicans, they think, well, maybe that's not like talking about black people. It's the definition of, of racism. When you define a whole country, they're swarming over the border. They don't have our values, he says. He did a whole thing about how you know black people complain about not getting picked up by cabs. And they goes, but you know what? These people who are driving the cabs, they're not even uh, – uh, they're, they're from another country. So – how could it be us who's doing it? But then he doesn't stop there. And then he goes, and maybe these people driving the cabs know something about black people, uh, about why they shouldn't get picked up. I mean, it's really literally off-the-charts uh, hate speech. And his fans love it. They don't want to admit because they say it's the truth. But it's also comedy, right? Like, it's also couched as well, comedy. So that, it's this, this tricky that thing. Line. And yeah. that, that's my major point. He's not a comedian. So he really is. He thinks he is, but he's not. Maybe he was on Loveline or something, but currently he's using right. the guise of a comedian as an excuse to, to engage in horrible hate speech. Hmm. I, I mean, when is the line between like, ha ha, everybody's getting this, this is funny, and this is like a bad, this is like bad preaching, you know what I mean? Well, you can't make any rules. Like I always use the, the, the Dave Attell example of, you know, within a minute, Dave Attell will use every word that I wouldn't use in my act, yeah. and he's hilarious. So I always say, like, if you're hilarious... I can really, even if I don't agree, like with Atal, he'll get upset about like groups of, uh, like he does jokes about, uh, he, like I, I would never use the word midget, but he uses the thing, he, all of a sudden he's angry at midgets, but it's like, to me it's hilarious because it's so ridiculous that it, 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 even if he's, if I don't know what's motivating him, but ultimately it's so ludicrous that someone would be angry at, <laughs> at, at the, the, and then saying all these things. So, but that's a, he's a genius. So yes. I feel like if you're, if you're hilarious, I don't really care unless you're really like, you know, you know doing round up the Jews material and seriously. <laughs> but if you're funny, then there's no, all bets are off. At least Dennis Miller is as, 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 as odious a human being, as a despicable as a human being he is. But he's clearly saying, I'm a right-wing talk radio host now. This is what I'm doing. Corolla doesn't, doesn't say that. He doesn't make a distinction. No, I'm just a left comedian. Or right. I'm right. a comedian. But right. meanwhile, he's on... They has Roland with Corolla on the O'Reilly factor. Roland with Corolla? Yeah, he hates people. Corolla hates people who, who take food stamps because he's angry at his own family because he grew up poor and he, hate, he uh, apparently talks so poorly about his mother. I don't know what happened there. but So he thinks that every, nobody should uh, be using food stamps, which is just a, a ignorance of reality, that there are poor people in the United States who are working poor. Yeah. And food stamps is one of the most beneficial programs because it not only helps people who can't afford to eat, it injects money into the economy. People use it at supermarkets who make money. So yeah. he's like just ignorantly angry. Yeah, not everyone's I'm just trying, trying to wrap to... my head around this food stamps economy thing. Because you're because it's for every dollar you invest yeah. that you give someone if you give someone ca uh, cash, here's cash from the government, then they go back and spend that money in a supermarket that in the helps economy. It helps the economy. Helps yeah. the supermarket. I get it. Helps. I get yeah, it, Andy. Yeah, it helps the economy. I'm with was you. That a, was I, that a bit? I think it was something. something. I was trying to do something with that. Oh, but you didn't quite but understand. I, right? I didn't quite understand it either because yeah. I'm a little but, tired but, today. But and, also, and, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. not everyone's trying to rip off the system when it comes to food stamps. But that's which like is, a, I think, where that stems from, right? Right. But they used to say that. I mean, they used to. I mean, Reagan was the famous for. Uh, Increasing the whole anger at uh, any kind of social programs because he was like, you know, welfare queens driving Cadillacs. It is true that 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 that, that Lyndon Baines Johnson, you know, uh, LBJ, he tried and he had horrible sides to him, like Vietnam. But he was trying to to uh, cure poverty. And in the in the in the case where they did, when they made it like more beneficial financially to stay on welfare 
than to take a job, then people were abusing the system because that's the way the system was set up. And there's abuse in every program, but food stamps, you know, what are you going to say? Like, uh, oh, they used it to buy uh, beer? I don't know if they can use it to buy beer. But uh, well, they, 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 well, it's also the right wing. I mean, I, I'm just enraged at the right wing now because they're so terrible. But like, you know, they tried to portray, portray the uh, the 2008 recession as poor people, you know, they shouldn't have been buying those homes. Well, nobody should have been giving them those loans. Those people giving them those loans were making money on the loan. And my father said when he was, you know, buying a house, you couldn't get a loan. Like right now, I'm trying to get a loan to, to buy uh, buy something. They are scrutinizing everything because I'm self-employed. Right, what, right. How did it get to the point where they were just able to give out these liar yes. loans? Yeah. You know, they would just ask, what, what do you make? Well, we'll say you make $100,000 a year. So, But they're constantly <laughs> trying to focus on the poor people, like it's their fault or what they're doing. And that it's like the recession was like almost like a depression. And there are so many people who are working poor and, we, and we, our minimum wage is so low. So it's just a, it's a phony argument. That appeals to people like Adam Carolla. Why don't you, you should have like a political, why don't you do a political talk show? That's the, the, the second life of Andy Kindler is, you're the new Olbermann. Well, I'm not very articulate. Well, I, say, <laughs> I don't like, like I hate MBC, it's like I hate MSNBC. Maybe that's think, your thing. That I hate everything? No, that you're, you're inarticulate. Not inarticulate. <laughs> yeah, you're inarticulate. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that is my thing. <laughs> I just stretch it out to another field. But like, people love MSNBC. It's like, I think MSNB is, in, that, that, in a lot of ways, they're worse than Fox, because at least Fox, you know it's complete bullshit. It's propaganda. They're not hiding it, although they claim to hide it, but they're laughing when yeah. they say fair and balanced. MSNBC, they're like, they think they're revolutionaries. And, they're, and the, here's my big problem. When you think that by definition politicians are all thieves and criminals and and there's no politician who's not then you're saying that you are morally superior to mm -hmm. somebody else just based on their profession as if there aren't like people on msnbc they don't have their own agendas they're trying to build their own followings you know you can say that about anybody yeah, anybody's yeah. profession but that's like cynicism right essentially cynicism. and and yeah. i it's i never really thought of cynicism in that uh sense of being like it actually is you being trying to be superior, trying to get one over on people, judging, like to you know, or or stepping out of like, I don't know, excusing yourself from participating, being above it, you know. Right, because then yeah. you could just say it's all terrible. But that's the interesting thing about Twitter is, uh, you know, like Bob Dylan said, like at some award thing, there's going to be times in your life when everybody's going to be against you, and that's the thing you have to accept at one point. Like I, you want to build, like on Twitter, you build a following and, you know, but if you get too involved in people who are on your side, you start to cede your own point of view or get too affected by other people's point of view because the world is not based on everything that I want to have happen, happen. It's just not going to happen. So there's a certain level where in the old days without all this social media, you could get enraged. You wouldn't get as enraged, and then sometimes I just I can't watch the news for a week or two weeks because I'm not helping. It's not helping me to, to that I can see every tragedy on the planet mm -hmm. instantly beamed on yeah. a website. It's yeah. not healthy. It's not. No. It's not good for. I agree with humankind. That. I don't I have a television, <laughs> <laughs> but not by choice. <laughs> Are you serious? Well, only because like I've been moving around. Like yeah, but you have you have things on your on your web. On we the, didn't uh, have the internet for like two weeks at my place. Really? I, was, I was freaking out. Are you out. a Luddite? <laughs> I'm a Mennonite. I'm a, I'm a, do you know about Mennonites? No. Well, it's a Canadian thing. They're like um, Amish in Canada. Amish. Yeah, yeah, the Amish of Canada. That's the show, Amish in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> when you Going mentioned over. the whole Dylan thing where, you know, not everybody... What He's mentioned Dylan three times, though. We're breaking the comedy rule of threes if we go... Well, over. no, I, I'm just saying that Dylan was just talking about going electric. Well, that's all it was. No, but here's the thing. Like I'm reading his uh, his uh, the what's it called the, the uh, chronicles. Yeah, they're, it's unbelievable. They're just so great. It's amazing. Is it written by him or it's written by him? No, it's it, clearly written by him. Oh. because when that came out, I didn't. I haven't read it because I didn't know if it was him. Oh no, it's completely him. You hear is you, after a while. If you know, have you ever heard him host that the, uh, Bob Dylan theme time yeah, radio yeah. hour? It's amazing because no. he like uh, he has this kind of cadence. Uh, back in the depression times, they were like, and so the great. Yeah, so I'm reading the book, and, I, and then I met, uh, I was on the uh, Berkeley Street, and, uh, and, uh, and so I, I'm reading the book in his voice. Right. And, uh, oh, that's but he great. he said, all he talks about, the people who uh, was, I think it was called Sing Out, or one of these folk magazines that turned on, these people were, there was a limited worldview. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't stop someone from growing musically. If you look back on it, it's like ludicrous. And 
to me, he probably is the bravest person ever because whatever, however he deals with life, I am firmly convinced he had no, I would have had much more fear and have had much more fear when everyone's against me. Mm-hmm. I don't think he cared. I, I think it's, it's easy and flippant for me to just say, well, he just went electric. But going back and taking it in context, going electric back then was like, or anything he did, the, any th- expectations they had of him. Their expectations mm-hmm. was he's going to be mm-hmm. the uh, uh, singing about issues. But and he was he the never, first guy gonna, of that, that right, everybody put Well, he, was, he put wasn't the first guy. Dreams I mean, that's, he was just that, that one, the one everyone pinned. And so when you realize this guy's scope is actually a little bigger than just, you know, the Hattie Carroll or Hollis Brown and all that stuff. Then it, yeah, saving the world or providing songs for other people to sing, which is like how he got really famous too, right? Was it's like I guess people got freaked out, scared. You know, he's not theirs. He's not only theirs. You're, you know, he doesn't just belong to them. And, Sometimes you know. I watch the footage of when he went electric and the reactions of audience members, and I wish someone would just like uh, find those people and see now, how they feel now and how well, they feel now. That's isn't that true of any fan of any band or anything that's it's that's more true of bands and uh, even comedians because you know I'm not likely to come out and all of a sudden be uh, you know banging on a, a conga drum you know so but you might change your style and people oh, I like the other thing but like an artist that's death to an artist to just to give people what they think or what they want and but the thing is is like he loved Woody Guthrie. So that, that's the thing when you read the Chronicles. He was in love with Woody Guthrie. That was his hero. So he loved the folk songs uh, that went all the way back in time as stories. He wasn't particular. He loved to sing about you know pirates and everything. It's like yeah. he, it wasn't. He, it wasn't that he didn't care about like Hurricane Carter later on or all these people. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't his thing. You notice he wasn't. He wasn't at Woodstock. He wasn't involved in like a lot of protests against the war. I mean, I love that John Lennon was, but that just wasn't him. But they wanted him to be that. Right. Guy, right. You know. I mean, isn't that a thing where the most iconic people don't really follow what people want like over the if you kind of like look at these people whether it's like Richard Pryor or like Dave Chappelle or 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 Bob Dylan or Neil Young like they all kind of do their own yeah and that's the thing it's like you know uh Nobody wants to be like I don't want to be known as the guy who just talks about the industry because yeah. I don't just want to talk about the industry. Well, that's uh, but that's that's a very reductive <laughs> look at what you do because there's a reason why you are someone who can talk about the industry. Right? You know yeah, what I it's mean? not like I because I'm in the well. It's because I'm actually talking about what I'm involved in and as I, opposed to picking it. You're, third hand. You're very reactive too. Like you're really present as a as a person in a comic. So I think that that has almost everything to do with like reacting to the comics around you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the 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 world around you. And 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 I also I don't maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems like you talked about that thing with like being, you know, in a world of giants when you were growing up, like the Beatles and Rolling Stones. Maybe you just hold everything to a pretty. High standard. Well, like, even like you were talking about before about why don't I do a, you know, we were joking, like why don't I do a political show? But the thing I, 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 I kind of, and when I, I did like politically incorrect a couple of times years and years ago, and you, the thing about it is like when you're on TV and you're, you're just excited that you're on TV. Mm-hmm. So there's something that becomes unreal about these arguments that you're having. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think almost like your humanity gets cut off. How about this politics and more? With, with Andy, Andy Kindler. Kindler. And more. And more. That's going to be a really wide yes. open subject that you can... Use and, the hook <laughs> and then expand it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's my fear, which I think is a reality of me, is that I do have, and a lot of comics have it, but I have a bad case of Robin Williams syndrome, where you, it all becomes about you. So I constantly have to not edit myself with what I'm saying, but I have to, because I'm very bad when I, I think, it's not that I think I know everything, but I think I know everything. So like, you know, I'm ready, you're talking, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't, let me top his thing. So uh, that's what, I always feel somewhat bad, because I, even in an interview where, it, I mean, you could say ostensibly it's about me, but it's not. So uh, it's, it flew by, with, but still with me agonizing that when this comes out, it'll be all me going, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if I looked at me in a positive way, I think I am one of those comics. Which who, you should. Who, yeah, but I'm one of those comics. If we're all sitting, standing around, mm-hmm. I will kind of, I can get everybody going in a funny way. Yeah. But, and then there, but there are the comics who are brilliant comics, but they're more shy or mm-hmm. they don't, they're, they're not, that's not their thing. 
And I notice sometimes even when I'm getting everybody going, I'm having the greatest time, like I'll miss something that someone's saying quietly. So it's always a battle to turn off the ego. You know, I noticed that thing that you noticed about yourself and Nick. Oh, you mean the uh, schlubby Jewish, uh, <laughs> did I say schlubby? You're not schlubby. No, you're no, Lisa, you're considered handsome. <laughs> I always thought of myself looking like you. That's but, uh, <laughs> but now people say, no, I'm handsome. But now I'm probably looking at you like I would look at me. Yeah, what, is yeah. this, what is it, Mr. Jew entered the room? <laughs> Only half Jewish. My father is Irish. So what was your, did you have a, remember your, your uh, tour that you did, Jewgasm? <laughs> yeah, I do remember <laughs> Jewgasm. I did that with uh, no, Ari very, Shafir. And, uh, he's very, he's very like, like um, he reminds me of me because he's got that kind of, an awkward quality to him that yeah. I think is uh, very amusing. Thank he you. amuses me. Bring bring me Nick Flanagan. Well, that, that was my favorite thing. Well, I, I, I think would, it wasn't the first time we met, but it was close to it when I interviewed you at Just for Laughs with a video interview or something, and right. you, you were like, I can't really put my finger on the energy you're putting out. It's not negative. Right. It's something <laughs> weird. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, weird. it's a Woody Allen. It's, it goes back to Woody Allen type thing. Yeah, I hope, oh, look at you. Look at you. Well, look at you. You tried now. to turn this into a thing where here I am. I'm a self-obsessed megalomaniac. No, I meant the early movies. Oh, hey. they're just jokes. And <laughs> yeah, like the stuff that hasn't <laughs> aged well. Take the money and run. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, no, Nick. We did a, we tried, Nick tried to get a podcast going once, and you <laughs> came over to my place to, to do it. And it was called uh, Help Me Help Comedy. Me. So I was supposed to give him advice on how to like. Yeah. And we brought in Tim Gilbert was the first guest. Oh uh, wow! My friend comedian Tim what, Gilbert. What, what do you like? How do you pay the rent? That's what everybody wants to know. I uh, do. I write animation. Wow, yeah. you do? Yeah, I'm an animation. What kind of animated things? Do you um, kid stuff. You know, like uh, a show called Oh No that just went on the air, but aliens oh. versus kids and. Wrote some of a show called The Day My Butt Went Psycho. You know, lots of farting. Do you do, but you do voices on kids' shows. I you? do voices on kids' yeah. shows. You have a great voice you can't for fart. that. Uh, thank you. Hi, I'm Andy. Or I can do this one. Hi. Or I can do an old Jew. I'm old and I'm Jewish. What would that character be animated? <laughs> uh, hey, kids. Kids, get off my lawn. What is that? Let's is that kill a, him. Is that a duck or is hey, that a hey, parrot? No, no, I don't do a, I, the When I was a kid, I never watched Warner Brothers, and I feel bad about it now, but I never, for some reason, I was like, that guy's, are they making fun of speech impediments? They'd be like, oh, you're five, sensitive. Snagglepuss. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Nagelpo. I watched Hanna Barbera, which is which is much like, worse. It's much worse, but I saw them as like good like sitcoms for a kid. Yeah. <sighs> like they all have these sort of kind voices, yeah, you know? They weren't, yeah, 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 exactly. Is Droopy, yeah. you know. Was David he Hanna Barbera? Goliath was your favorite. Yeah, Ooh, you know, baby. it converted me to Christianity. It was really early uh, Jews for Jesus stuff that I loved. Hey, is that a Jew, Davy? Let's let's teach him of the Lord. <laughs> the dog is the most anti-Semitic dog. <laughs> there is something <laughs> about, no, you can no, really no. picture him. They were. Know, I, I was. I loved that show when I was a kid. I didn't know it was a uh, like a. It was hauntingly like. Made. Religious? Yeah, haunt, oh, it was okay. hauntingly religious. I yeah. do think that the religious aspect did give it this eeriness, you yes. know? And, uh, the, but the, it was kind of beautiful. Like, claymation was a very interesting art form. That's right, you know? it was. It looked great. And stop I motion, it. you know? Yeah. Like, for some reason, it, I, it reminded me of candy. Yeah, I wanted to yeah, eat them. Because you mean they the were, Davy and Goliath? Yeah. Yeah, well, they weren't also, I don't remember them being heavy handed. Like, uh, no, no, it no. It was no, more no. like just general. To me, like I've realized recently, I came to the realization that you can't argue, there's no intellectual argument for atheism. There's no scientific argument for it. You, it's, it's simply, like, I feel a certain connection through music and, uh, and uh, ado, you know, like uh, maybe some drugs that the character Andy Kindler did in college, for insurance purposes, <laughs> where you feel like you're, you're, you're transcending reality. And so uh, that's not something I... D desire to prove or I know what it means I just sense it so how can you argue with people who are making a completely non-scientific thing they're saying there is no God you know if you press them on it they'll go well of course I, I don't know what you can know but why do you think you know well, you think you know because you see other things die and you think that that it's just there's no there's no real science to it and the fact that scientists are so like uh, uh, Dawkins and all these people, mm -hmm. it makes me not want to listen to their science. Yeah. Because if they're that stupid about spirituality, 
maybe, uh, maybe they're missing something as, as a scientist. You know, it's like Einstein was not that way, and he was. Some people just like my, Jonathan Katz is a brilliant comic. He just yeah. for some he just believes that he doesn't believe in in God, and maybe if I explain, you know, if I said what you know spiritual things, he wouldn't reject them. But it just doesn't. If you don't, if, if you're fine yeah. living your life. But you have a belief that doesn't inhibit your life. Well, I don't care what you believe. But I'm talking about these angry people who, like, you know, like Pendulette, they say you can't use the word, uh, you know, I have faith that something will work out. And there's no faith, no faith, no faith. You know, it's like they're aggressively telling you you're wrong. <coughs> How about Ricky Gervais? He is the worst human being now. He's just a terrible human being on every level. He's a terrible person. And you can tell how terrible he is on his Twitter feed. His Twitter feed is just him promoting Derek. He goes, oh, I can't believe the North American reviews have been fantastic. Two days later, the New York Times slams it and slams him for saying it's a, an exclusive to Netflix because mm. it's been released everywhere else. Oh. <laughs> and he's just so... F- he's, th- that character he did in the original Office was the... Gr- I loved him it's so an, much. Yeah. He, he has, But that he thinks he's a stand-up comic because he's done it 20 times. Yeah. His ego... He's, his ego is covering up deep insecurity because if half your Twitter feed is saying, I don't care what people think, that means, of course, you care what people yeah. think. You would only need to say that once. Right. If, you, if it was not yeah. something you were struggling with. Right. But he's, he's actually got to put it in his little bio he, thing, the, the, the one word thing. I don't care what you think. Email me. Yeah, and then <laughs> was making, who was making fun of his uh, profile pic last night? Cause his, oh, um, uh, was it Mark Maron? Mark Maron. Yeah, like yeah. he's like, <laughs> that laugh of his. Oh. So anyway, it's, yeah. It's very affecting. <laughs> I mean, I, I noticed the Gervais laugh is a thing. On t- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very affected. Uh, you can't tell, but Andy is away from the microphone, just as he pointed out at the beginning of the podcast. But I even like that the thing he originally did with Carl Pilkins. I like that, love that podcast. Yeah. The original, original one. Yeah, but now yeah. I can't even listen to that because it's like people have pointed out, like uh, Tom Sharpling has pointed out that you know he's like abusing this guy. Carl. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. saying well, this guy could die in a volcano on this show or something like that. And uh, and then, then do you think he'll finally realize that he's picking on people? It'll be oh, too but late. But is Carl in on the joke? That's another thing. I think he is somewhat in on the joke. But yes, I think he is in on the joke. But it's so much of it is based on abusing him. Yeah, yeah, for of his, course. You know, quote lack of intelligence. We're being given. Oh, we're giving the a signal. It's signal. my fault. My fault. My bad. Our fault. My bad. It's fun talking. How, how do we wrap this up? Oh. How do we wrap this up, Andy? What have we learned? What do we and what do we conclude from all this, <laughs> Nick? What do you say? Would sum up the podcast in one sentence that we can pitch. Andy Kindler has opinions about a lot of things and comma, more, comma, and more, and more, comma. He also run has, on sentence. <laughs> he also <laughs> enjoys run on sentences, comma, and coffee, and also. Whatever I hate, you should hate. Whatever I like, you should agree with me. And then there'll be no problems. You know, I just want to say, I want to thank the people with Blue, <laughs> Blue Microphone. And Vans. I love, you know what Vans. I love? Have you seen the Skull Candy? Have you, have you people seen that? They're wonderful. The they Skull really Candy earbuds and hair, hair phones. Do you have a Danko Jones DVD? I have one. I might have one. I still haven't figured out if I have one. I don't know. He doesn't know if he has one. I have the book. The book's great. Why don't we do one of these things where we... Fade out like where the conversation continues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's great. Yeah, and then we were and all then, so we're, all yeah, having so much thanks, fun. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, it's really going to be a great time. <laughs> yeah, no, Here at, we didn't even explain that it was a just for laughs. Right, right, right.